Greetings to you, church family, and to anybody else, I suppose, that's listening. I guess this is available online, and so anybody can listen in, and you're certainly welcome. But I particularly want to greet uh, my church family at Affirmation Presbyterian Church. I miss you. Uh, I so badly wish that I could be standing at the pulpit today and preaching God's word to you and hearing you sing and joining in the public worship of God. I, I, it's, it's hard to imagine the times that we're living in, hard to ever imagine a time in which churches all across the country uh, would be closed. Um, but these are the crazy times we live in, and it calls for endurance and fortitude in, in the midst of it. Uh, as we think about these times, I thought I would uh, let you see my ugly mug and, and uh, present some words from the scripture to you. Again, there are so many wonderful resources online that you can take advantage of, and I encourage you to do so. But probably good for us to be together as a church family, at least even through this distant way. So I want to think, I just want to take a moment. I hope you all got uh, the email that I sent out yesterday and uh, in which I was challenging you to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I want to come back to that theme. And then, and then maybe as we get going, maybe next week, return to some of the thoughts we were having going into this hiatus, uh, where we were thinking about Christ in the Old Testament and driving ourselves forward to look to uh, a Good Friday and to Easter Sunday. Uh, of course, the church calendar hasn't stopped just because uh, we've been forced to uh, lay off of public worship. And so we want to continue to fix ourselves on the cross and the resurrection. In some sense, there's uh, um, if this is going to happen, maybe the season of Lent is the utterly appropriate time for it to happen. Uh, this is a time of fasting within the church. And so maybe in this time, as we've said, it's a time to reflect on heavier things, more challenging things, reflect on our own mortality, uh, to reflect upon our sin, and certainly the time that we now have given to us by the coronavirus uh, has allowed us to reflect on such things. And I encourage you to do it and to make good use of the time. But I want to think just for a moment um, about an opportunity, I suppose. Well, I guess that was an opportunity. But another opportunity that, uh, and a related one, that this coronavirus time gives us uh, in Christ. And that is this time, this challenge and trial that we're going through really does present us the opportunity to grow our faith muscle, if you will. I just was around the breakfast table uh, with my family and was encouraging my kids and, of course, Christina, um, to look at this, op this time as an opportunity to do just that kind of thing, to build our faith muscle. What, what, what does faith mean? In, you know, what is faith in the good times? We say we have faith in the Lord, but what does that look like? How, how do we ever have that faith tested? It's hard to do in the midst of the good times. We can say we have faith, but we don't have much opportunity to exert that muscle and to show that it's there. And how do we build it? Well, we try to build it through sermons, you know, during the good times when everything's going swimmingly and, and you know, services are easy to get and we can go easily to the store and pick up things like toilet paper when we, when we want them and we're not fighting in the aisles for such things. When our children can go to school, when we can go freely to work, we know we got a steady paycheck coming in. When we have an economy like we just had where it's booming. What is what does faith look like there? Uh, we try to convince ourselves we have it. We sit through sermons in which we're chided to have it. But it's a hard thing to actually exert because when things are going well, though we would never say it, we begin to think we're doing just fine. We, we got this thing in control. And faith becomes an abstract thing. 
But it's in times like this that, of course, our faith is now tested. But not only is it tested, the opportunity is actually there for us to develop it, to improve it. That is, we're in the real thing now. We're not playing with, with fake bullets now. Now we're in the real thing called trial. And it's here, and I think only here, that you can actually develop faith muscle. Because faith muscle is like any other kind of physical muscle. Right? You, you don't develop it by sitting idle. You develop it through trial. You put your body through trial. You tear micro tears in our physical muscle. And then the body has to go to work healing it. And that's how you grow muscle. And usually, if you know you've gotten a good workout or gone for a good jog or whatever, you know, you're sore the next day. Your body goes through a little bit of a trial. And in that trial, you develop the muscle and you get yourself in shape. And, and the coronavirus and everything else that'll come along with it. Because, of course, we're concerned about our physical health on the one hand, but we're also concerned about our financial health on the other hand. You know, we've, we've got risks on both sides of this thing. And there, there is going to be uh, trouble on both sides of this thing. And as we go through these trials, as we go through these disconcerting times, there's going to be tears to our faith muscle. There's going to be pain that we go through. But it is here and really here only, I think, that we can actually progress in our faith. And so I want to encourage you to own that. I want to encourage you to grab a hold of it and take advantage of the opportunity that is before you. And to beware, at least I have to beware. I know you all are probably doing a great job at this, but I myself have to beware of grumbling, 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 of being absorbed in, you know, the fear, the anxiety over the things that are to come. That's why I gave you that illustration from uh, Screwtape Letters in, in uh, the email that I sent out. It's so easy for us to want to have clarity about tomorrow. But the Lord tells us, no, you're not gonna see it. The clouds have come down on us. We don't have vision distant into the future right now. And so we have to focus on each step right in front of us. I, I think this is why the Lord, for example, says when he tells us how to pray, he says, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. That is, you're gonna have to come back again tomorrow. It'd be nice if we could just say, give us this year, our yearly bread, and know that we've got it taken care of for a year, and okay, everything will be great for a year. But like Israel in the wilderness who had to come daily for their, uh, their given manna, so we also have to come daily looking for our daily bread. But of course, the daily bread is a picture, I think, of everything else. Lord, give us this day our daily health. Lord, give us this day our daily paycheck, <laughs> our daily income. Lord, give us this day our daily peace. And I wish that I could look out to June. I wish I could look out to the end of the year in 2020 and 21 and say, oh, it's all going to go great. We're going to have to get through these hurdles, but I know how it all ends. And he just doesn't give us that. We're called to be faithful today and not to fixate on the future. Of course, knowing how the big story ends. I forget who it was, John Piper, Doug Wilson. I can't remember somebody I listened to who said, I don't know how this chapter of my life ends, but I know how the story ends. And, and that, can give us, that can give us, of course, great peace. But in the meantime, we have to think about our daily bread. We have to think about our daily moment. We have to think about the step right in front of us, what faithfulness means there. And in so doing, we will develop faith muscle. Now, the story I have in my head as we, as I just take a second to reflect upon the scriptures, because I don't want this shit to be my musings. Uh, maybe we can root this in the scriptures. It would be nice. So the, the story that I have in my head is the story, of course, of Jesus on the boat with his disciples. As they encounter 
this amazing storm. And you know this story, right? All the Gospels. It's, it's one of those stories that's in all the, all the Gospel, uh, by all the Gospel writers. What's interesting about that story is the fact that Jesus, right? Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who knows what he's doing, He's not, he's not going through his life or his ministry accidentally. Jesus, knowing what he is doing, leads his disciples out into the sea that night where the storm will come. That is, he led his disciples right out into the place of storm. And of course, he was sleeping quite contently in the, in the boat. And the disciples, as you know, were having quite the, uh, quite the fit. The storm came. And you know the story, right? This is not this is not a group of men like me, right? I'm, I get a little nervous on the sea. I'm a land lover, but but many of them were not. They were fishermen. They were men, you know, used to the sea. Not all of them, but many of them were. And I particularly think of Mark's recounting of this because in Mark's recounting, he's getting the story from his uncle, you know, his uncle Peter. And so when Peter recounts the story to Mark, I mean, I assume this is where Mark is getting his details from. When Mark recounts the story, the disciples do not come out looking very good in that story. It's kind of embarrassing for them, as, as you know. The storm begins to whip up pretty good. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And these disciples, many of whom were used to life on the sea, become so overwhelmed by fear that their hair is on fire. And they're running around each other, holding on for dear life and saying, we're going to die. We're going to die. That is, they become overwhelmed in the midst of the trial. They become overwhelmed with fear. And the fear then does lead them to run to Jesus. But when they get to Jesus, they ask him insulting questions. They wake him up and they say to him, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? What, what an insulting question to Jesus, whose very purpose, though they still didn't have it all clear, but whose very purpose was to come to save them from death. To ask him of all people, don't you care that we're about to die? Now, you've heard me talk about this if you're at Affirmation. I've preached on this some years ago, and it's probably a story I reference all the time. But I think it's so important and so fundamental for us here in moments like this, in moments of these kinds of trials. We so easily become like the disciples. I mean, can you relate to them? I certainly can. Again, maybe you're doing fine. But I find my hair getting on fire every, you know, throughout the day, just about every day. I do my best to stay off of Twitter, but then I can't resist and I'm on there. Or I hear a story and all of a sudden the heart rate increases and I'm wondering about the health of my family. I'm wondering about your health. I'm wondering about the health of the school and the business, the health of the church, the finances, the economy. I mean, all of a sudden, all these fears come down and the storm is raging around me and my hair is on fire and I'm saying, ah, we're going to die. We're going to die. And maybe we even wonder, maybe we even come to the Lord with the insulting questions. Lord, why? Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're struggling? Well, what's the problem? What's the problem with the disciples? The answer is obviously clear. I mean, you could probably give the rest of this little homily. What's the problem? The problem is obvious. They have forgotten who is in their boat. Right? Their eyes are fixated on the wrong thing. Their eyes are fixated on the storm that's swirling around them and not where their eyes should be fixated, namely on their Lord. Lord. 
the king of kings who is in their boat with them. In fact, even when they come to him, and you could say, well, hey, they do come to him and they do ask him for help. Yeah, but even then their eyes are not on him. They're just amazed by the fact that he's sleeping. I'm not sure what they thought he would do. They'd seen him do some pretty amazing things, but he didn't seem to be bothered like they're bothered. So even when they come to him in prayer, right, master, you know, their eyes aren't on him. Their eyes are on the storm. Now, I believe this is the problem, the chief problem, that we really have to confront in our own lives. It's certainly the problem I have to confront. And these situations like coronavirus throw us right into the middle of the storm. And while bad things do happen in the storm, I don't deny it, there is a real opportunity for us here to recalibrate. There's a real opportunity for us here to ask the question. We're forced to ask it because in this sense, often we can't look away from the storm and it's a real time for us to ask, what are we looking at? Where are we fixated? Because in good times and in bad times, in times when it's just things are rolling like we were just a couple months ago and everything's just cruising, whether it's in those times or whether it's in times like this where there just seems to be wave after wave after wave of report coming in and news coming in and whatever, you know, and fears and threats and trials. In both those times, it is just as easy for us to fixate ourselves on good things, but on things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the things that you and I are fixated on right now are not bad things, right? We're fixated on our health. Well, health is a good thing. We're fixated on our finances. Well, finances are good things. We need to provide for our families, right? We need to make sure we can pay our bills. The economy is a good thing, right? These things are good things. They're not bad things. Just like the safety of the disciples wasn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. But when it becomes the fixation of our hearts and of our minds, that's where things begin to get a little toxic. And I've shared this with my students many times that this is one of the great tactics of Satan. Satan uses as a strategy or a tactic, shifting our focus, not to bad and evil things. We, we think of Satan, we think of him distracting us with sin and evil. But if you look in your life, that's generally not the problem. The problem is he distracts us to, with good things, but good things out of place, good things immoderately, Good things at the wrong time. Most of the things you and I are tempted with are good things, but good things in the way that God has forbidden, right? The knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was a good thing to have. It's just how do you get it? You get it by looking to God and he would give it to you. Satan says, go ahead and grab it for yourself. The knowledge of good and evil is a good thing, right? You will be like God. That's a good thing. We want to be like God, but we should be like God the way God has called us to be like God by submitting ourselves to him and not by grasping after it in the wrong time or in a wrong way, you know, autonomously. And this is how most temptations work. This is, so, this is where Satan can be very subtle. If it was always just, you know, distracting us with evil, you know, it, it would be too obvious. We'd, 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 be, we'd catch him on it. But where Satan is slick is that he focuses us on good things. Our health, being able to provide for our families, the economy, but inordinately, disproportionately. 
He makes us look and not be able to look away so that a good thing then ends up serving evil purposes. But because they're good things, you see, it's very easy for us to justify. I'm only caring about my family. What do you want me to do? Not care about my health? You want me to just run around and have no regard to my health? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we say to ourselves if we're, if we're ever pushed back on. Once our, our consciences tend to convict us, we can come up with very easy justifications. Oh, what? I'm not supposed to care? And of course, that's not the point. Caring about your health is a good thing. But it quickly slides from caring about your health to a fixation on my health. It quickly goes from caring about my finances to a fixation on my finances and on the economy. And that's where, of course, we have to be careful and where I want to challenge you. And Lord knows I'm videoing this right now and awkwardly I'm watching myself. So that's slightly uncomfortable. But what's interesting about it is I'm actually preaching to myself. <laughs> I can see myself preaching this sermon right back at me and I'm forced to listen to it. I'm for, hey, I can tell you right now as your pastor that I need this stuff just as much as you do, if not more. The, the same struggles and concerns and fixations of your heart are the fixations of my heart. And I have to constantly pray. That's why I was saying in that email to you yesterday, we got to become really good expert preachers to ourselves. Just like the psalmist, why are you downcast on my soul? You know, trust in the Lord. We have to preach that to ourselves because it is times like this that will tend to get us to fixate, to look out at the storm and forget who is in our boat with us. And the one who is in your boat with you is the one who has conquered death itself. When Paul says in Romans 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That only matters if the love of God is what matters most to you. If what matters most to us is our health, if what matters most to us is our income, then that's not really that exciting. It's like, great, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But all I want to hear is that nothing can separate me from my income. If you would tell me that, I'd be at peace. And then I could meditate on the love of God. If you would tell me nothing can separate us from our health, oh, then I'd be at peace. And then I'd be able to focus on the love of God. See, that's what we want those verses to say. But when Paul says, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, take comfort in this. There's nothing that condemn you, can condemn you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. The implication is there that the love of God, our union with him is what matters most to us. Isn't that convicting? It's, it's convicting to me. But that is the one who's in our boat. The one who has given himself for us. The one who has calmed the ultimate storm. Coronavirus and a, and a recession or whatever's coming, and I don't know what's coming. I'm trying to be a prophet here. But whatever troubles are coming and are currently existing in the coronavirus, it, it's just one squall that's blowing through. But the one who is in our boat is the one who has calmed the ultimate storm. So that ultimately no storm can finally, ultimately harm you. He has conquered death. He's conquered death. And so at the end, what do we have to fear? And therefore, my charge to you is to keep your eyes fixed where they need to be fixed. To keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have two little supporting references here. One, and the best, of course, is Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. Let us 
shedding every sin that entangles us. The idea is here, we're running this race and, and sin just gets in there like vines and kind of wraps it around our legs and trips us up and makes us stumble and distracts us. And he says, casting away the sin which so easily entangles. Let us run the race with endurance. And then I love this, this is the key to it. Fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Right, we gotta sail through this storm. But how ought we to do it? Well, we gotta cast off the sin which so easily entangles us. And I'm not saying that's easy. This is a constant battle. We must daily put to death the deeds of the flesh. We must daily go to war. We gotta wake up every morning and say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, give me this day the strength to battle. Lord, give me this day the strength to mortify the flesh and its desires and its fears. This is not, this is something that we gotta constantly come at. But we ought to cast away that sin and fix our eyes. Let us run the, there's only one way to run this race with the fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then I want to give you, I mentioned it in the email, this, and I just lost my spot, so that's great. But I wanted to give you this quote from Augustine, his confessions. We're going through this with our juniors and I've been reading it to them, um, this, this passage. Actually, one of my students um, uh, brought it up as, a, as one of her commonplace entries, or uh, um, yes, one of her commonplace entries. One of the quotes that she, that stood out to her as we were reading through it. And it made me slow down and reflect on it. And I wanna share it with you, this prayer from Augustine. And it's a quote from Psalm 80, where three times in that Psalm is the refrain, you know, restore us, O Lord, and let your face shine upon us and we will be saved. And Augustine, uh, um, who's not using the NIV, of course, uh, translates it and gives it to us himself. But I want, I want this to be my prayer and I want it to be your prayer and, uh, and anyone who's listening. Let it be our prayer. Here's what he says, just quickly and shortly. O God of hosts, turn us and show us your face and we shall be safe. O God of hosts, turn us and show us your face and we shall be safe. And I love this. I'll read the last end of it here in a second, but I want to pause there because I think Augustine is getting at something, right? The implication in this prayer, as Augustine offers it, is the fact that we are looking away from him. And I think, again, this is the natural inclination of our sinful hearts is to look anywhere other than God, to be distracted by the wind and the waves, or in good times, to be distracted with the prosperity that surrounds us. And what repentance is, is the turning of our face, the turning of our hearts. And so Augustine says, turn us. He doesn't say to God, turn to us. He says, turn us. We're the problem. We're looking away. Turn us and show us your face and we will be safe. Brothers and sisters, I challenge you to make this your prayer. If you're like me, you, it's hard looking away from the coronavirus and from Twitter and from the economy and from the news conferences. I need the Lord to heed this prayer from me. Lord, turn me and show me thy face. I'll finish the prayer for you. O God of hosts, turn us and show us your face and we shall be safe. For wherever the human soul turns itself other than to you, 
it is fixed in sorrows. Even if it is fixed upon beautiful things, your health, your finances, your family, your country, your neighbor, these are all beautiful things. They're wonderful things. But if our hearts and our eyes are fixed there, then they are fixed in sorrows. For wherever the human soul turns itself other than to you, it is fixed in sorrows. Even if it is fixed upon beautiful things external to you and external to itself, which would nevertheless be nothing if they did not have their being from you. So, Affirmation family, I charge you, fix your eyes on Christ. It will not be easy. Just like working out is not easy. It's going to take some muscle ripping and some pain. It's going to go through some trials and some disconcerting times where you're going to feel like your hair is on fire. And then you got to call yourself back and you got to look again. You got to say, what am I looking at? What am I fixating on here? And look to Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, by the power of the Spirit, he will be building faith muscle in you. It's only through these trials that we will grow. When you, when you look through church history and see the courageous men and women who gave their lives, that didn't just come in an instant. It was something that the Lord had been building in the hearts and the minds and the lives of these saints as they went through trials and needed to trust in the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is our time. So I charge you, fix your eyes on Christ. Turn us, O Lord, is our prayer, and show us thy face, and we will be safe. Let me pray quickly for you and for all who are listening as I close, and then I'll shoot an email out you know, later in the week. As I said, maybe we'll try to do something live together where we can all participate in some kind of table talk uh, uh, theological subject. Give us some distraction and distract ourselves with good things. But until then... Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for all who are listening, all who are watching, and I pray for myself too. Lord, we confess to you our sin, that we are prone to look away. We are prone to fixate on things, good things though they be, but things other than you. And rather than these things then leading us and drawing us to you and to greater praise, they become the end point of our fixation. And Father, as Augustine said, they indeed lead to sorrows. They lead, they're like battery acid to our souls. Father, we pray, along with Augustine, and in line with Hebrews 12, that you would turn us, show us thy face, and we will be safe. Lord, I pray that you would build in us by the power of your spirit, for we know we cannot do this of ourselves, but we pray that by your spirit, you would build in us true faith muscle, Test us. And where we are weak, heal us. And where we are strong, by your grace, confirm in us our faith and our trust in you, O Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings, for you are the one who is in our boat. You are the one who has calmed the ultimate storm so that nothing can separate us from you or from your love or from your ultimate fulfillment of your promises. Lord, I pray for all who are listening and I do pray for their health. I pray that you would guard us, guard our families, Protect us. Be with all the healthcare workers. We thank you for them. Lord, we pray that you would protect their health in the midst of this trial. Give them wisdom as they act. Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our governor, for Governor Cuomo, for President Trump. Lord, what pressure must be upon these men and upon their advisors. How we pray for them right now and for their families. 
guard their health and grant them great wisdom as they lead, O Lord God. And Lord, we entrust them, we entrust our country, we entrust the world to you. We trust ourselves to you. Father, may you be glorified in this. May your church be strengthened. And may the gospel go forth calling people to ultimate hope. We entrust all these concerns to you. We do so in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, to you all, may the Lord be with you and may he grant his peace. Amen.